lined up. We thank you. But uh, there's plenty of space for everybody to serve. Amen? Amen? There's plenty of place for everybody to serve. Amen? There we go. <laughs> I was hoping I'd get more amens out of that. Going right in a culture gone wrong. That's the series I want to do for you for the rest of the month and the first Sunday of February. Going right in a culture gone wrong. We want to talk today out of Psalm 101. We read some scripture earlier. But we want to talk about building a godly home beginning in this new year. Listen to this letter. Speaking of college kids, here's a letter from a college student that she wrote to her parents. Dear Mom and Dad, I'm so sorry to be so long in writing you. Unfortunately, all my stationery was destroyed the night our dormitory was set on fire by the demonstrators. I'm out of the hospital now, and the doctors say my eyesight should return sooner or later. The wonderful boy, Bill, who rescued me from the fire, kindly offered to share his little apartment with me until the dorm is rebuilt. He comes from a good family, so you, you've always, so you won't be surprised when I tell you that we're going to get married. In fact, since you've always wanted a, a grandchild, you'll be glad to know that you'll be grandparents in several months. Signed, your loving daughter. Oh, P.S. Please disregard the above practice in English composition. There was no fire. I haven't been in the hospital. I'm not pregnant, and I don't even have a steady boyfriend. But I, get, I did get a D in French and an F in chemistry, and I just wanted you to be sure that you received the news in proper perspective. <laughs> I'm sure they'll be praying with her, hands around her neck when they see her next. But getting things in proper perspective is critically important. And as we take stock on a new year, you may have looked at 2011 and went, whew, I'm glad that one's past me. And there's always a hope and anticipation of something better or hopefully something better in the new year. There are some aspects I would have you consider about building a godly home because I think if you really want to see victory in your life, you want to build a godly home. And the first one is, remember personal priority. Establish a personal priority. In your bulletin, I have printed the eight verses inside your bulletin, if you'd find that right quick. It's over on the side where normally we have the um, ongoing announcements or, or schedule. But I had Tammy take that out and just put this in for this Sunday because I want you to do something for me. I want all of you to get a pen or a pencil. So I'm going to give you just a moment to do that. And I can, we'll do the Jeopardy. I should have recorded that and then it would have been more fun to play. But if you have something to write with, I want you, as I read these eight verses, I want you to circle every time the phrase I, the pronoun I, is used to describe an action point in, as I read these eight verses. 
And if you will do that and add the my phrase, you should come up with 12. 12 to 13. Okay? So I'll read and you circle. I will sing of your love and justice to you, Lord. I will sing praise. I will be careful to lead a blameless life when you come to me. When will you come to me? I will conduct the affairs of my house with a blameless heart. I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. I hate what faithless people do. I will have no part in it. The perverse of heart shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with what is evil. Whoever slanders their neighbor in secret, I will put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, I will not tolerate. My eyes will be on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. The one whose walk is blameless will minister to me. No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. Every morning I will put to silence all the wicked in the land. I will cut off every evildoer from the city of the Lord. And did you get them? Circle, the action, pronouns. It's important that we do that because it becomes a foundation. Whatever your role in the family, it's your responsibility to lay the right foundation. If you're the father, building a godly home will obviously require personal commitment. You can't run away from the responsibility. We've got too many men abdicating that responsibility to the women. Men need to stand up and be men. If you can bear a child, then take responsibility for what you do. Be a man. Can I get an amen? Good. Three of you believe that. If you're a mother, you have to make a priority. You have to be that nurturer. That's what mothers do. Mothers normally are the first one to teach the children the precepts and the principles and the foundations of God. Mothers do that. Mothers are very important. <laughs> Without them, we're not here. There's an amen. All right, didn't even have to, didn't have to beg it out of it. Without mothers, we're not here. And mothers, I don't know how they do it, how they carry. Each other. I was look, talking to a young lady just the other day. I said, I said, my goodness, when are you due? She said, next week. <laughs> she looked like it. <laughs> But working a full-time job right up to the last moment. She said he's already a week late. I said, well, if it's a he, that's why. <laughs> I don't think she quite understood what I meant. But if you're a single parent, it makes it even tougher, doesn't it? Because you have to play both roles. And God intended for every family to have a dad. And the dad to be there and a dad to be accountable. I know there are circumstances that cause those marriages not to work. I mean, it was happening in the Old Testament all the way back. You go to Deuteronomy, you'll find out it's there. It's not necessarily God's plan, but it happens. But every member of the family has to help with the foundation laying. Even if you're children, you've got to receive 
the foundational teaching. We've got kids nowadays that just want to rebel. That's all they want to do. They just think rebelling is their right. Well, I used to think rebelling was okay until my dad showed me otherwise. My mother had a memory of an elephant. I'd mess up at home and she'd say, wait till your father gets home. And I'd go, yeah, whatever. So I'd take off playing, you know, I'd run away from the house and play with my friends. And, you know, I'd forget about what went on until I got home. And she was either standing behind the door with a stick or when dad got home, she would get him away from us and whisper in his ear. And his countenance changed from a happy man to a very angry man. And usually then his eyes locked on me or whoever it is that was in trouble. It's amazing how mothers never forget that stuff. But everybody has a, has a part. Greg Swindell pitched for the Cleveland Indians. The games didn't always go his way. In fact, in 16 years in the major leagues, he won 123 games and he lost 122. <laughs> Pressure is in was amazing. Can you, you say you have pressure at your office. How about his? <laughs> For Greg, thousands of people were there to cheer his successes and boo his failures. And 122 losses and 123 wins. At least he was ahead, right? That's a lot of losses, isn't it? 122. And somebody asked him how he kept it all in perspective. And he said... I stitched in white some very small letters on the underside of my cap's bill and I stitched the date January 21st, 1991. And so he was asked, what's the importance of that date? He said it was the birthday of my daughter, Sydney. He went on to say, when things are going badly or I'm getting shelled, I can take it off and look at it and know what I have to look forward to when I get home. So whether you stitch a date on the underside of your baseball cap or you keep a photo, simple photo on your desk, those visual reminders of where your priorities lay will help you through any day and will help you keep those priorities going. The second precept I'd want you to pick up as we build a godly family is Show intentional action. In verse 2, look at verse 2. I will be careful to lead a blameless life, the psalmist writes. The emphasis on this in this sentence is on the word blameless or perfection. Failure will greet you almost immediately for no one and no one's home is perfect. It's great while you're in the hospital after you've had the baby. Used to, ladies, you'd stay, what, a week or more? And somebody would tend to that baby. When it was crying, they'd bring it to you to feed, and then they'd take it back so you could rest. Nowadays, you have the baby in your home almost that evening. <laughs> and if you don't have a support network of grandparents that come in to ooh and ah, or you don't have an attentive husband who's willing to stay home and help, man, it gets to be rough, doesn't it, ladies? Because they do cry and they do get hungry and they do poop and they need to be changed. What a great life. Eat, poop, and let somebody else take care of it. Man, where do we sign up? Amen. 
But the psalmist also asks the question, when will you, God, come to me? He does when you're careful or intentional in taking the steps to make your home godly. God will indeed show up. And when we take care to avoid the landmines of temptation, sin, greed, wrong attitudes, violence, then our homes will take on that air of godliness that we so desire. Look again in verse 2 when he says, I will walk in my house with a blameless heart. I take Scripture literally, do you? Do you realize how life-changing this instruction could be for families that are here represented today? As we begin this new year, we literally walk, need to walk through our homes and we might immediately see some things that need to be changed, things that need to be done in order to make our homes more godly. Remember, this is the something that requires personal priority. We're about to list some things. I'm going to give you three. Some practical suggestions that this section of Scripture makes. But each member of the family isn't, if they're not committed to building a godly home, it won't work. It just works when everybody's willing. Be intentional. And if you'll do that, you're on your way to a great year. You certainly won't be able to control what your neighbors do or what the rest of the culture does, but you can make some decisions for your home and for your family that will be incredibly beneficial to you and bring honor to God. And that should be our ultimate goal. Amen? So the first thing I would encourage you to do is be mindful of the music. There's no wasted time on this. In verse 1, it says there's, there's this proclamation, I will sing praise. So, of course, the entire instruction comes in the Bible's hymn book. In the heart of the Bible comes music from the heart. There's a clear connection between the music we listen to and the actions we take. A recent study by the Rand Corporation that followed more than 1,400 teenagers for three years showed that sexually charged lyrics had a direct impact on the sexual actions of those who listened to those lyrics. The study compared all kinds of music and found that rap and rap metal music, famous for their explicit lyrics, had the worst impact on those teenagers. It's not the music that you remember, it's the words to the music. And you know it's true. We pick ringtones on our phone. And we wonder... I wonder why that guy picked that ringtone. I used to have on mine, bad to the bone. And people look at me and go, preacher? Best dressed man. Or well dressed man. What is that? ZZ Top Song. Sharp dressed man, thank you. See, I, I remember the dressed man. But people listen to that, they hear my ringtone, they go, whoa, preacher. So then I swung to the other way and I started putting on my ringtone just the part of Randy Travis's song about uh, I'll love you forever and ever, forever and ever, amen. Well, that was the call from my wife. Okay? So the music we listen to makes a difference. 
The words of those songs, make it, they get embedded in us. How about if I, let's try a little exercise. Things go better with Coke. You knew that. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. And what is that? The name of the guy who really didn't want to squeeze his Charmin. Mr. Whipple, you got it. See what I mean? That's old, man. We're, say, we're taking a few uh, decades back here. But one of the things I'm most thankful for is Christian music. Now, there were several years ago when you try to listen to Christian music, you go, it's more like a bunch of guys at a family reunion over in Arkansas. Billy Bob and Buttercup and all of them pulled out their instrument and off they went. But now it doesn't really matter because whatever genre of music you like, there's a Christian version of it and it's done well. Well, we just listened to it, didn't we? Had you sing along with, I'll fly away, oh, singing those harmonies in there. Yeah, that's all right. Good stuff, isn't it? At the cross, you beckon me. Yeah, that's a great song. Those are the words I hope you'll remember, because you will if you have it. Don't throw away God's gift of music. I appreciate Christian radio. I'll listen to talk radio, and after a while, I'll get so tired of listening to them to tell me that we're going to hell in a handbasket. So I'll just turn it over to Christian music, and all of a sudden, I don't care. I'll just sing away. I love to pull up the corner when the window's up, just singing and be, be bopping my head, you know, and all that. People look at me like, boy, he's nuts. Let the songs fill your heart and your mind. Songs that bring glory to God. Keep your home on a godly path. Just play Christian music in your home. It'd be awesome. Second thing I'd want you to practice and, is to be aware of the eyes. Be aware of the eyes. Now brace yourself, look at verse 3. I will put no vile thing before my what? What's your version say? Before my eyes. I will put no vile thing before my eyes. Father Ralph Bedding, founder of the Christian Appalachian Project, tells of an Easter visit he and some of the ministry volunteers made one year to, a fam to all the families living along a Kentucky mountain creek bed. They stopped at one shack where a man and a woman lived with their children. Their only heat was from a fireplace. They proudly ushered the, vol the visitors uh, uh, over to a corner of the dim room where their two-month-old child lay. In the Bible, the baby wasn't in a crib, a bassinet or a cradle, or even a pillow-lined basket. The child, the family's most precious treasure, lay in a cage made of tightly woven chicken wire. Doesn't sound right, does it? And Father Bedding said, after a moment of stunned silence, my curiosity and concern got the better of me, and I asked the parents why they had their little child in this cage. He said, I'll never forget the answer. The father said, we have him in this little cage so that the rats won't eat him. What we thought was cruel motivated this father when he took the children, the chicken wire, and built the cage 
It's like nearly every parent I've met. They deeply love their children, especially newborn children. And no doubt this dad built every bit of that chicken-wired cage with love in his hands and a desperate hope in his heart to protect that child. I need to ask our parents here this morning a question. What kind of cages have you built in your home? Is there a cage around your television? Or do your children have free access to whatever they want to watch? Do they have an unhindered sewer line that brings unfiltered filth into your home? I would say build a cage there. Don't allow your television to ruin your spiritual life. There's good stuff on TV too. There's great stuff. Every parent will take different steps of cage building, different rules for their own homes. But one thing is unquestionably true. The Bible says a godly home will put no vile things before its eyes. And television has a lot of vile things being broadcast, so it's important. You need to have a discussion with your kids around lunch today. Add to the television the computer monitor. Are your children unhindered to surf the Internet? Does dad have godly perimeters when he's on the Internet? Does mom? The highest percentage of viewing of pornography today this will excite you to know. You would think it's in young people, wouldn't you? It's in the nursing homes. Laugh as you will. Sarah laughed and she was 99. No laugh at God. And understand that the temptations of life are there. How about video games? I don't know why video game makers think they have to be so bloody and gory. Take me back to Pac-Man, amen. <laughs> it seems awfully tame eating chips. <laughs> yeah. Jeff and Misty heard the heartbeat of the new baby, and I said, sounds like a Pac-Man on steroids, doesn't it? <laughs> and the more that baby develops, the slower it gets. But, the, oh, what a blessed sound to hear, amen. So walk around your house. Look at your calendars, your artwork, your clothes. Look at everything that can build a godly home, pay attention. Pay attention. There's some great artwork out there. Take stock in it. Look at your video libraries. Are there wholesome movies? Are there internet filters, television filters? Take control. And the last thing I would encourage you to do in your house is to fulfill friendships. Look at verse 6. Has one of the most important and delightful instructions in our text today. My eyes will be on the faithful in the land they that, they, that they may dwell with me, he whose walk is blameless will minister to me. God-given instructions to surround my family and my, with friends who will bring their laughter, their gifts, their food, their priceless friendship into our home. Oh, you may share vacation time with them, but, and you'll enjoy the most memorable times of your lives with those kinds of people. What a positive thought. My eyes will watch the godly people in my community. I will befriend them, and they will spend time with me, and they will minister to me. Last Sunday was Kelsey's birthday. They went bowling. What was great was they put those gutter thing rails up. And then they had another little deal that was a ramp. You just pushed the ball, and it rolled it. I said, I'll, I'll bowl. It was awesome to watch those kids. 
And then each of her friends came and their parents came. And it was so great to watch Christian families interact with each other. It was awesome to sit back and watch. And I'm proud of my son and daughter-in-law for having folks around them like that. But if you invite ungodly people into your house, they can tear down the foundation that you've built in minutes. Your children are attracted to the evil. We're bent toward evil. We have to work every day to produce godliness and holiness. So help them. Help your kids do that. How do kids learn to scream and holler at other people? How do kids learn to drink alcohol? See us do it. How do they learn to be racial in their thought process? See us do it. And you say, oh, that doesn't really go on today. <laughs> what rocker are your head under? Bryant and Brad referee basketball. Brian can tell you what, it was just a couple years ago, wasn't it, when that happened? Where were you, Begs or Mounds? Mounds. And this was the uh, apparent. He went ballistic. It was, it was like we were back in the 60s, the way he was being talked to and treated. Just, just because of the color of his skin. Mm. I ain't the God I know. <laughs> I ain't the God I know. I hope you'll pause and consider what I've been saying this morning. We need to take the steps of faith. It requires courage. Sometimes it requires parents to be creative. Kind of reminds me of the mother who was frustrated with her eight-year-old son. No matter how often she scolded him, he kept running around with his shirt tail hanging out of his pants. Well, that was an important thing for that mom. Her neighbor had three boys and each kept their shirt tucked in neatly. Finally, this woman asked the neighbor to tell her a secret. It was a matter of one mother using her imagination. It was very simple. She said, I just sew a bit of lace around the bottoms of their shirts. How can you be creative and be a witness at your home? Well... Let me give you a couple more ideas. Have a Bible, several Bibles, in fact, in spots around your house. Use those Bibles if you have a place where you regularly study the Bible. Don't hide the evidence of your study. If you're taking notes, just leave it laying open right there so kids can see it. Spouses can see it. Secondly, memorize Scripture. Oh, preacher, I can't remember my name. Well, okay, just work at it. Work at it. But memorize scripture. Get memorization cards. Put them in key places. Take them to the mirror while you're shaving in the morning or cleaning up in the mornings. And put it on your desk. Have it somewhere. Fill your home, thirdly, with religious art. There's some great art out there, some great artwork. I love this picture we have on the wall back here. I've got one in that's a prayer of Jabez. I've got one in my office that talks about how how God is the stronghold, the foundation for us, and it's a, a lighthouse that's shining a light and the waves crashing up against it. Fourthly, talk about faith with your family and friends. Make it an 
part of the normal conversation. And then fifthly, be consistent. If you'll make a commitment to be godly, to be carefully remove these elements of evil in your home and replace them with things of God, people will notice. Do they notice enough that you're a Christian that it's obvious? Well, I can't do it at the workplace, preacher. Yes, you can because you don't have to say a word. It's how you live. It's how you treat each other. Young people, let me speak directly to you. Respect those who are older than you. Keep your mouth shut. If an adult says something to you, respond to that, but keep your mouth shut. They're not going to ask you to jump out in front of a speeding car and kill yourself. They might ask you for a helping hand to get across the street. Young people, wake up. Wake up. How many of you heard of Al Capone? How many of you have heard of Artful Eddie? <laughs> okay. Probably don't recognize that name, but Eddie was a product of a gangster life in the Roaring Twenties, and he ran Al Capone's dog track. The trick that Eddie used was he overfed seven dogs and he bet on the eighth. Worked like charm, and Eddie was set for a life of wealth, prestige, and style. But Eddie turned himself in, he squealed on Capone, and soon suffered the fate of all of Capone's enemies. Two shotgun blasts did him in. Why would Artful Eddie give up a life of leisure for a life of honesty, even if that life was a short-lived life? Well, it was the baby. Eddie had had a son, and Eddie wanted the boy to have a decent father, and he wanted desperately to clear the family's name so his son could have a clean slate. Because Capone's cronies killed Artful Eddie, the man who wanted to give his son a chance at decency, never got to see what would happen next. The boy's name was Butch, and Butch was a kid with potential. He was appointed to Annapolis, commissioned as a Navy pilot, and became a record-setting fighter in the Pacific during World War II. By the time Butch came home, he was wearing the Congressional Medal of Honor around his neck. Butch was such a hero. His hometown named its airport after him. We know it today as Chicago's O'Hare Airport. But none of it would have ever happened if it hadn't been for a dad who wanted to give his son a good home, a clean name, and a chance at decency. When you make a godly home a priority, it will cost you dearly. You'll have to watch what you watch. You may not see as much as you used to, but you can change. And with the help of godly friends, you can build a godly home and pass down an inheritance that will withstand the fires of time. You can pass down an inheritance of godliness. Pray with me, would you please? Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for every family that's here. I thank you for every father and every mother that's here and every grandmother and grandfather that's here. And God, I'm praying today that they will choose to do something special in their homes.
that in those homes they will remove every appearance of evil. They will have only the good things brought forth for the children so the children understand that you mean business and that you're important to your mom and dad, to their mom and dad, their grandma and grandpa. And so, God, I want to challenge the people in this room this morning to consider as the new year begins, could we build a godly home? Could we take the steps necessary to build a godly home? And so, God, would you honor those steps of faith? Give those parents courage. Give that single parent an extra measure of courage as they wrestle and play both roles in the home. Would you help those children to be more submissive, to be more respectful? Would you help those children to be more helpful, more loving, more gracious? Father, there might be somebody here today and he's just falling on the knees and praying. I don't know who it is, but I know there's somebody that needs to do that. Somebody in this room needs to do that. You know who it is. Prompt them. Prick them so they don't stay comfortable. And I pray they'll respond, God, to you, to your prodding and your pleading today. You stand before us with open arms ready to receive if we'll but come. And you say to us, come, all you that are heavy laden and burdened, and I'll give you rest. You tell us that your yoke is easy. You tell us that you'll wash us whiter than snow. Would somebody respond today, Jesus? In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.